So I'm joined this week uh, by Rebecca Warren, who is an associate and the Sydney manager of acoustics for WSP. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, so how would you explain what this job you do is to someone at a barbecue? <laughs> yeah. No, it's a challenging one. And I think I'm also an engineer, so they tend to roll into one inexplicable job title. Um, but basically, I'd like to explain it as we solve problems. If you come to us with an acoustic problem, we'll solve it or we'll work towards solving it. Um, and because it's quite hard to, to describe, isn't it? And you only know that it's done poorly when something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and yeah. that is really obvious to everyone. Yes. Like, yep, that's, that's poor design right there. Um, so I do tend to, I came from sort of a mining background, so I do tend to refer back to working in a mining environment or construction road noise um, assessments. Um, and that's pretty much the only way to get people to understand what we do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I mean, obviously there's the vibration aspect as well, which is equally incomprehensible to a lot of people. But yeah, I genu generally just say we solve problems and then we try and move on to their jobs. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did uh, environmental engineering in Newcastle, yeah. is that right? Yeah, from you Newcastle. Newcastle. Um, and so I started, I started off in civil of all things and then got bored very quickly and moved to environmental. Um, with a master's in chemical engineering. So of completely changed course, yes, of course. And it was interesting because that's when I sort of understood that I'm more of a process person. Um, to be honest, I kind of wish I'd had more of a, an understanding of the different types or streams that you could get into because I think um, mechanical or chemical would be more where my brain mm. <laughs> lies. Um, but yeah, and so it was interesting, but I started off in water engineering. Um, which is completely different and you know make my way from there so it's been quite the trajectory <laughs> so what is what does water engineering entail from a what does that look like as a job well it was yeah i was quite that was when i was undergrad grad i think um so yeah it was we worked a lot with the mining sector and working on their water management systems and things like that yeah so it was there was a bit of process there was a bit of hydrobiological modeling and hydrological modeling and all that sort of stuff but I ended up with a really cool boss who just allowed me to play with a bunch of modeling software and I eventually that's how I kind of went I actually did fire modeling as well which was really interesting <laughs> I did everything and then landed in acoustics and that sort of took my fancy and yeah, that's where I've been focusing my energy ever since. So, so yeah. landed in acoustics, that's a, that's yeah. a short <laughs> sentence, but how did, how did that play out from someone who's doing water modelling and fire modelling? Yeah. No, it was pretty cool, because like, I guess we, my manager just turned up and he's like, oh, basically, have a crack. <laughs> have yeah. a crack at all these different things. But I was, I'd been doing water modelling for a while. Um, and I think that sort of, it came from a project I was working on and I was designing sediment basins and all this sort of stuff and I was getting a little bit bored of it. And then someone's coming over the top and just gone, actually, that's useless. We're building a noise wall exactly where you've designed your sediment basin. I'm like, well, maybe, let's, waste. let's go do some noise, noise modeling as well. Like this obviously trumps everything else, so let's go for noise. <laughs> and it sounds like you'd, you'd tried everything else at that point. What was it about acoustics that you thought was uh, yeah. kind of going to sustain your interest? <laughs> yeah, well, it's so different, but and you're always doing different things. I mean, as I say, started off in mining, roads, wind farms, all kinds of stuff. 
but it's more process oriented where it seems a bit more you can make some prescribed assumptions um, and yeah it's a bit more well defined or I found than water modeling which was very literally wishy-washy <laughs> um, yeah I, I just found it a lot of an easier process for my brain to follow mm. um, and yeah there's such an immense body of research in, in all this sort of stuff um, and quite frankly the models are more interesting because <laughs> you can build 3d models and visualizations and that's I think that's when I got more into it is when you're doing 3d visuals of driving down a road and like a fancy Mario Kart video. Nice. I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> and, that and that's early, early days. Early now they're days. all uh, fancy yeah. renders. And yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so, and early in your career, you went over to France for a while? Yes. Yeah, that was a funky move. Yeah. What, what, what drove <laughs> that? And what was the environment then of practice of acoustics in France versus Australia? No, that was, I think um, there was such a massive learning curve. I was trying to transfer with the same company, but I just got in my head. I'd been there on holidays like a bunch of times and just went, can you just cut to the chase, like save some money and just move? So I just got up and moved, like, you know, had my little passport and a couple of years under my belt. And yeah, that was interesting because I had to go basically back to basics and work in a bar, you know, when I went to the Sorbonne and got a, you know, um, worked on my French skills, but that's all I, all I had was a degree, a couple of years and <laughs> trotted up. Um, and I couldn't get a transfer with the company I was at, but I managed to find an opportunity in Lyon, of all places, um, at this environmental consultancy firm. And they just, they needed someone who'd worked in the EIS space and, um, yeah, and they were doing a lot of work in the Cameroon and um, Myanmar and, and things like that, working for Total, Total, French pronunciation mm -hmm. there, but um, yeah, and so I started off working, helping them pull together EISs for certain large scale activities. Um, and then that's actually where I got into road noise modeling was mm. in France, but I had to do it in French, in the new <laughs> software. <laughs> <laughs> and different standards, presumably. Exactly. Too, yeah. No, it was really fascinating. It was so cool to see how another country, you know, it's all the same principles, but it's just how do they implement noise policy? And obviously there, there's a lot more heritage buildings, you know, a lot more yeah. heritage than here. And, and di different <laughs> different uh, heritage, different age. and. Exactly. Uh, and I think the French have obviously got a higher standard or a higher tolerance or expectation of noise because it literally was if this building was here before a certain time, it's this standard. Right. Um, and then, yeah, um, so it was quite fun, but it wasn't, we didn't have this whole New South Wales policy where it's nighttime regulation and bits and pieces mm. like that. It, it literally was like, was it built before this period? Off you go. Like, yeah, do what you want. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of, it was very, very interesting. And the, um, I got involved in the EIS process as well. And if you think it's complicated here, it was just ridiculous. It was like a three-page slide, summary slide. And I'm like, oh, there's no way now. I'm just, I'm ever going to pick this up. So I stuck to my noise lean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, and it was fascinating. Like that was, it's got to be, that's over 10 years ago I was doing this. And mm. um, it was, they had, um, I was working on light rail networks and, and things like that well before we got really into that sort of infrastructure here in Sydney. Um, so yeah, it was good. They're obviously a little bit behind the times here, so it's nice to <laughs> um, work on integrated planning projects here. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So you've obviously worked on a range of different projects and different type of uh, just 
different type, of, very different type of work yeah. and geographies. What are you most proud of in your career up to this point? Um, I don't know. From a technical perspective, I was quite proud of being able to fake my way in France, <laughs> not actually really speaking French, but sort of tricking them into teaching me. I had to train up a, a grad in French. <laughs> oh, right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I knew the, the skills and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, So I was sort of throwing out terms in English and she'd, oh, you know, and she'd, she'd throw me the, the French equivalent. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. And it was quite funny. So I was pretty proud of that. And she picked it up really quickly. I'm like, I'd like to take credit for at least in part um, some of that. But, um, you know, from a technical perspective, that opened up a lot of doors when I came back and I was mm. involved in all these in interesting projects. I went to Vanuatu for a wind farm project just because I could speak French. Nice. And, um, you know, sat through Put a kickoff meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went there and was in a kickoff meeting and they're both speaking French and my client was sitting there with me and he's um, not quite understanding what was going on. I'm like, it's okay, I'll wait. And I waited till right at the end when they were talking about I need a spanner or something like that. And I just in French, just went, I've got one in the car if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't realise I could understand everything they were saying. I'm like, it's a good thing you didn't bag out or yeah. <laughs> anything controversial. So it was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but I think it's been more like in the last couple of years, I've been more in a management role, sort of stepping into a leadership pathway, which is, I'm more proud of that, I think, than the other technical mm. stuff. Because, you, you know, we all sort of go down this pathway and learn new skills. But um, it's been fun to sort of step up. Like I didn't, I never would have seen myself in a leadership role like five or ten years ago. There's no way I would have seen myself in this position. Um, so it was kind of overcoming that lack of confidence or it's only recently that the term imposter syndrome came into my vocabulary. And I think that that was a massive thing for me was to just overcome the belief, you know, self-belief or criticism mm. or whatever, um, and just actually take the opportunities that were presented to me. Um, and yeah, it's been really cool. Like I thought it would be a lot more challenging than it is, yeah. but it literally is the hardest thing is just making the first step, stepping yeah. into the room and stepping into the conversation. Um, yeah, it's really opened my eyes. And then you, you've got a lot more vision, I guess, and a lot more control mm. over things. You're part of the decision-making processes. And I just think that's been really quite special for me. Yeah. So, yeah. So can you tell me a bit more then about, I guess, imposter sy syndrome as a concept? Mm -hmm. what, um, what you had in your workplace and in your network and, and your personal development that helped you sort of get through that? Mm -hmm. um, and I guess any reflections that you'd have on that for other people that are facing a similar yeah, situation. set of challenges. <laughs> I was going to say, because I think most women in this field would, and engineering is the same. Um, no, it's been really interesting. Um, I felt like, I think it's, it's difficult because you kind of can't, they always say you can't be what you can't see, mm. but there aren't that many female technical leaders in acoustics, engineering across the board, mm. it's pretty low um, representation. So there did come a point where I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to do this myself. Like, so there is a bit of self-growth there, like in a little level of confidence that you kind of have to achieve yourself. But just having networks in other, of women in other fields, and mm. then, but also having really supportive male managers, role models, um, people that will sort of take you down the path with you. I've had a couple of really 
um, good experiences with male, they're not mentors as such, but like champions yep. that would just be like, okay, this opportunity, boom, here you go. I'm gonna hand that over to you. Mm. Or take. And it's as simple as being invited to a meeting and seeing how that client interaction plays out mm. to being the one in charge of communications and stuff like that. Um, and then overcoming barriers such as, like I had, I once had a client who refused to acknowledge me in emails. I would be emailing and they'd respond to my mail manager and stuff mm, like that. Yeah. And he just refused to participate in it, like which was really good um, and was very direct. You know, and they've got to step out. Like, that's the thing. You see that and you call it out and you go, please yeah. don't direct this email to me. Direct it to my female yeah. colleague and stuff like that. Um, and even, yeah, like I've had a couple of really good male sort of champions um, but sometimes you know it, it does take and um, this is a bit controversial or maybe a bit confronting but sometimes um, men need to sort of step aside so that women can step up or into the room or mm -hmm. be, be a part of the conversation because if <laughs> you're looking at a table of guys there's only really one way that you're going to get better representation and that's if someone yeah steps aside yeah um, so I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity here, mm. you know, at the company and lovely network of, of, of managers around. And it's, you know, I just, obviously it takes a little bit of, a, oh, there's a woman in the room, but, you know, it's, it doesn't take long for people to get used to the fact that there's a woman there. <laughs> no, no. And it, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's often more confronting when mm. you're in a room of, a dozen men around mm. a table and you'd look around and, and go, like, this oh, is something man. seriously wrong yeah. here. This yeah. is not right. Exactly. And it's, but this is the thing. It's like it, take, it takes one person to make a change because yeah. you're never going to get subsequent, like the people coming after you feeling comfortable to do this. Mm. Like, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that was, that was the thing. But one of the biggest factors is imposter syndrome for me. So, um, and I'm pretty vocal on this now, like um, just because of the platform that I now have or the, you know, I can reach out to a wider mm. audience than I could before. But just understanding, like it's up down to managers and leaders as well to understand that there is a role to play um, in identifying or understanding what imposter syndrome is, where um, it looks like low self-esteem, right? It looks like low confidence or someone mm. doesn't have the skill set or something like that but it's more um, of a judgment of their, of belonging, like feeling like you belong somewhere. So whereas um, low self-esteem, a person will know that they haven't done something before, right? They'll know that they don't have the skills to do this and it's about their skills, it's not about them as a person, yep. but they're still likely to have a go at something, like they'll yep. still give it a fair crack. Whereas imposter syndrome, um, is where it's a self-belief, where you mm. don't believe that you belong in that room or you, that you, you belong in this situation. Um, and that is about you and your self-belief and manifests itself as not actually trying. Yep. So you'll turn away from opportunities, you'll turn down promotions, you'll turn down you know, the opportunity to prove that you can do this job mm. just as well as anybody else. So that's very, very different. They look the same though. And that's the thing is um, there's a high rate of imposter syndrome in women, female engineers in particular. You know, um, So obviously in acoustics, because we have the same per like percentages of representation, 
Um, so yeah, like it might look like a, you'll, you'll have a woman on your team and she's not putting her hand up for opportunities. That doesn't mean she can't do the job. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that is where managers can make a difference in how do you couch these opportunities in a way where it's not confronting for someone with maybe imposter syndrome um, to actually feel comfortable taking that opportunity. Mm. So then, then uh, I guess my question is from an employer perspective, from an organisation perspective, what can an organisation do that would um, respond to this? Mm. Or, or what, uh, what do individual managers as individuals in their, the way that they're managing their mm. teams and their um, talent. What, what do they do? Any, uh, <laughs> any, any, any uh, tips and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think the biggest thing, though, is I did understanding that imposter syndrome is a thing. Like, it, mm. is, it is a problem, um, especially in male-dominated sectors. You're going to feel like you don't belong there because yeah. there are no other people that look like you. And, I mean, this doesn't just go for women. This goes for... You know, you know, um, um, other you know diversities and, and things like that as well. But like, um, if you're in a world that looks a certain way, you're not going to feel comfortable mm. speaking up for yourself. And that is where managers can um, do things like going aside, like instead of approaching something as a group, going, "Does anybody want to take charge of this like this um, opportunity?" You could go individually to a certain person going, this this looks like the perfect opportunity yeah. for you. I'd like you to take this forward. That might catch it in a way that will make it, they'll be more receptive yeah. to actually take that opportunity forward. Um, and just acknowledging and understanding that just because someone looks like they're not confident doesn't mean that they are not capable of doing the job. Yeah. That's yeah. very, very different things. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think you've covered this before, that if there's like job ads or, or something with um, prerequisites, uh, a, a man is much more like, a male mm. candidate is much more likely to put their hand up if they've, <laughs> if they've yeah, got like... Yeah, like a five yeah. out of like <laughs> ten or something. And that's exactly right, whereas women will want to try and knock off at least eight to ten, yeah. if not all of the prerequisites yeah. before they even think of putting their hand up yeah. for that opportunity. So having a look at the way that job ads are... Um, written or and you word know, the yeah, words, the phrasing, yeah, because yeah. I think that was my big bugbear when I started being involved in recruitment. Was you see all these job ads and it asks for a tertiary qualification, and you look around the room, and go, "Do any of you have a qualification?" Yeah, or, or, or an engineering qualification, <laughs> an engineer. and you look around the room and go, "You wrote the ad, and you yeah. don't have an engineering and you don't degree." Have an engineering so, degree. like that's the irony of it. Is can you remove that, please, yeah. and just take one? more unattainable dot point off yeah. the list of things. Um, and even, I don't know, I just think um, being more visible, one of the things that's really um, conducive to you know um, young women continuing throughout their career, so I know that schooling and university education, that is one major problem that we have, is mm. getting engagement through um, or getting enrolments into engineering but then there's the retention phase where yeah. you know um but having sort of mentoring schemes where you're taking on um younger uni, uni students and maybe giving them an internship or just a you know even a couple of weeks in the firm to just see what it looks like and mm. go this isn't rocket science yes yeah. you can do this job would help um 
and things like having mentoring for people when they're young professionals moving forward. Like there's a lot of uni universities that are um, have mentoring opportunities available. Mm. That's that's proving to be quite effective in building up some confidence, you know, for young professionals in their careers. And so to be, you know, if you're a manager and you can be seen to be active in that space and encouraging in that space, then that will sort of work to your benefit, I think. Mm. Um, having good relationships with schools or educational facilities, um, it, it will cross-pollinate eventually. It might take yeah. a bit of effort from you, but if, you, if the schools or people in universities aren't even aware that acoustics are a thing, is a job, then there's no hope for us. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've, uh, I guess uh, we've talked about you know, um, uh, promoting women um, from within firms up to leadership positions, and we've talked about encouraging them from that graduate phase um, through early career and then through you know some of the uh, ups and downs that might go with with that phase in life mm. um, if we go back further and we still haven't got the engineering intake or the intake into those stem mm. degrees yeah. and it's still you know less than one in five mm. yeah, yeah it's pretty poor <laughs> female yeah, yeah. Um, uh, enrollments in those degrees. Have you got any thoughts on how, as an industry and as individuals in the industry, we should be uh, encouraging that intake through the uh, girls keeping doing STEM mm. subjects in, in late primary school and high school mm. and then taking up engineering or, or yeah, exciting, yeah, yeah. interesting <laughs> STEM-based, uh, uh, you know, university yeah. courses? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a massive problem because you can't, we always talk about it, it's like you can't do anything if there's this, you know, such a small pool to work with in the first place. But I think one of the things that, um, I went to Engineers Australia conference thing last year, and like one of the biggest factors is, um, I think it was 90% of female applicants to universities that um, didn't enrol um, in an engineering or STEM degree, they didn't do it because they don't know what engineers do. They didn't consider it. They didn't even consider <laughs> it because they don't know what engineering is. Yeah. So I can only assume it's exactly the same problem for acoustics because yeah. nobody knows what acoustics yeah. is. So the only way we can improve on that is to go, you know, make yourself active, present, um, in schools, mm. if you've <laughs> that sounds so strange, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's. But if we're not talking about it, it's like it's a dirty word. Engineering is a dirty word yeah. for some reason. It needs to be normalised and taken. Yep. You know this negative connotation that you've got to be good at maths or you've you can only do it if you're really good at physics or something like that. There's all these preconceptions. Mm. They're just not true. And the difficulty is, is that girls tend to be quite good at maths. So yeah, the, I think the stats say they're generally better than the boys, but they think they're not as good as the boys. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's like building up confidence with you know young girls so that they stay enrolled if they're in you know at that making those decisions into high school. Um, but it just seems so odd that it's. You know, we've even used the word like the term STEM instead of just saying these are engineering subjects. You're already yeah. doing an engineering yeah. subject. There does seem to be a stigma there. So the only way to really unpick that is by being present and talking about the jobs that we do with mm. our family members, wider community, in, and just say, I'm an engineer. I'm not mm. a rocket scientist. I'm not a, you know, not writing PhDs for a living. Yeah. We're all normal people. Yeah. Um, and just 
awareness, really. Yeah. Unless someone wants to make a Netflix series about an acoustic <laughs> consultant. But, um, yeah. And it's an interesting and exciting job. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, but I didn't know what it was when I was 12. No, exactly right. I didn't know what an engineering, but this is it. I didn't know what an engineer was until yeah. someone came to my school and said, if you do these subjects, you know, you could get a ridiculous starting salary. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'd like that. Oh, I'll have one that. of those. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. You've got to get in while they're at school. Yeah. Um, so that's where being present, that sounds a bit odd, but being present. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and talking about what you do and encouraging girls to stick with it. Yeah. You know, you don't just walk away because you think that you're no good at it. That's not true. Like, mm. it's a perception issue that you need to be brilliant at maths to do this mm. job. But, um, yeah. Anyway. I, do, I do feel like the, the concept of STEM and STEAM that, are much, you know, in the last, I don't know, it seems to me the last sort of, five or so years are much more present in the vocabulary and, mm. and what we're talking about when we're talking about school level education. And the fact that there is an E in there for engineering, yeah, yeah. I think gives us a, there's a window there. There's, yeah. a, there's a little door that we can jam our foot in. And <laughs> Exactly right. And it's like literally um, heard a very good statement that engineers aren't good storytellers. So we don't Spin, like it's, mm. we don't generate a good story about what we do for a living. So if you're talking to people, you know, and again, it's like, how do you introduce acoustics? How do you yeah. describe your job? That's when you talk about, I got to fly, you know, fly across country to do some background noise measurements, or I got to design an auditorium, you know, mm. an auditorium mm. or something like that. And what we've noticed is when we do have school kids in, and we're doing demonstrations, for example, and they see, like, they get all hands-on and they see what we actually do. It can, it can be fun, and they're yeah. quite surprised that it is actually yeah. an enjoyable thing to do. But it's, um, you know, it's about perception, I think, as much mm. as anything else. So it's almost like you need to catch it in that way. What, if you have a passion, you will be able to find an acoustics pathway for you to get to, you know, to find a way to your passion. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we, we need as an industry to take advantage of those opportunities when we can get into schools and, uh, and universities and those. And I know you're involved with the AAAC and the diversity subcommittee, and that's one of the things mm. that they've been looking at um, yeah, exactly about right. how, um, particularly in Australia, I guess, in New Zealand, that AAAC can link up members uh, or, or um, individuals that work for AAAC firms in acoustics mm with university programs and mentoring programs and schools that want to get yeah, engaged with that, exactly. which I think is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, but the, the thing about it is though, that, that actually requires a little bit of effort. And this is the yeah. thing, there's been a lot of talk about what can we do, should we be funding scholarships and all this sort of mm. stuff. It's like, or you could just turn, get involved in one of these events, turn up, yeah. be there, and then bring it back to work, talk about it. Yeah. And, open up that dialogue because the only way things are going to change is if people step up and actually you know put some effort in yeah and it can it, if it's always the same people doing the work nothing's really going to no. change so yeah yeah um you're now you know a, a ways into your career what do you uh what do, what do you feel the the future of acoustics looks like and and what do you um what do you still want to do with your time? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, I really, really am. I really hope that the face of acoustics looks a little bit more diverse yeah. moving forward. I would really love to see some stats changing yeah. on 
representation because it's I'm pretty like it hasn't changed since I was a grad I don't think or you know it's it's still pretty poor yeah. and that's just you know representation perspective I mm. think moving forward though um, well it's you know there's going to be a lot more BIM integration with acoustic tools and stuff like that and yeah. I'm just sort of visualizing that um, it will take a lot of the grunt work <laughs> out of our <laughs> processing and stuff which I'm You're looking forward to yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah and sort of oralization of um, outcomes I think mm. I'm hoping that that will become more streamlined I know that a few consultancies have products they've developed but I, I'm hoping that's the new normal yeah or just because I think that it makes it gives a more palatable outcome I think or it's easier for people to digest if they can sit there and listen to and you know the final product rather than yeah. looking at Try, you know. Trying to explain in words yeah. what it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's so difficult. Like trying to tell people what they're going to notice or not, and whether it's perceptible or not. Is, yeah, no, yeah, it'll be a lot easier once we have some moralization techniques in place. Yeah. Um, but I, that's kind of where I can see things heading. Mm. But yeah. And what do you want to do personally? You've, you're managing the Sydney <laughs> Sydney team. As, uh, is there a technical area you want to? move into or more um, I don't know I'm yeah happy to be in a place where um, I'm sort of well I don't know I'm, I'm still getting used to the role I think of where yeah. I sit as I've gone so used to the doing phase of, of um, the job and so it's taken a little while to take my foot off that gear mm, yeah yeah <laughs> But I, you know, there are some interesting, you know, I'd, I'd want to get more into like renewable energy mm. and, and things like that. Like we do wind farms occasionally, but um, seeing seeing that come up more often would mm. give me great joy. Yeah. And I've spoken for about five years about improving my building acoustics uh, skills and I've yet to actually follow through on that threat. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. And to finish off, if you, if we had someone here that's just either you know going through their degree or they're just about to finish and mm -hmm. they said I really want to get into acoustics that sounds yeah, like yeah. my bag right. what advice would you give them hmm. well I would just say just do it you know um, and try and keep your skill set as broad as you can like keep yourself open to as many different opportunities as you can and um, put your hand up for any opportunity that comes your way. Yeah. Um, even if you think it's a bit beyond you and then ask for support. But yeah. everyone always says there's no such thing as a stupid question, but just ask questions. Yeah. That's it. Um, I think one of the best things to do is to try and eye out a buddy or a mentor as well, just so that you can bounce off someone and check, check in on stuff. But I think um, just getting into it and getting as much exposure to different types of um, acoustic pathways as possible mm. is, is the way to go. Yeah, I think that's great advice because you, when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. And mm, you, exactly. There are whole fields of acoustics that you don't know exist, let alone what well, exactly. they're like and whether they're interesting or not. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You pull aside the belly and you're like, oh my goodness, there's a, it's so many, there's a broad spectrum of things to learn about. and. Yeah, you're not going to know what drives you until you hit it. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, thank you thank so much you. for your time. <laughs> thank you.